0: Coming up on this episode of Leap Takers.
1: And actually what was the most interesting part of all of this was that I read all those ingredient lists and I saw that most of the things that I daily consumed were not really healthy. So they contained too much salt or sugar or fat or, or, or additives that I've never heard of in my life. And then um, look and me were like, okay, what could we actually eat that is very healthy but also very convenient? And then we thought, yeah, maybe let's let's go for baby food
0: hello everyone i'm happy to bring you a new episode today of the leap takers podcast where i'm interviewing up and coming european entrepreneurs investors and shapers from various fields to retrace their journey of how they started their own company and to discover the insights, tips, tricks, and advice they gathered so that you too can take the leap. And I'm super excited about today's episode since it's just an amazing story, very inspiring, and I really love what this company is doing. So you probably wonder, who am I talking to today? My guest is Tobias Gunzenhauser, and we talk about how he and his co-founders started YAMO. YAMO produces fresh organic baby and children food and sells it entirely online via a D2C that means direct to consumer model. They recently also made headlines through their 10 million Euro Series A fundraise. So today we talk about how the idea of YAMO was born, how the founders tested their idea, how they started producing their first products, all the hustle that came with that, and a lot more aspects of YAMO's origin story. Overall, a lot of tips here from Tobias for fellow entrepreneurs and leap takers. One more thing before we get started. Tobias mentions two names during the conversation, which the non-Swiss listeners probably might not know. So this is Migros and Coop, which are just the two biggest supermarket chains here in Switzerland, just as a side note. Without further ado, then let's get started. And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hi Tobias, welcome to the LeapTekers podcast and thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Hi Remo, thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you and I'm really excited for this episode and to learn more about what you're building. So like the first question as always is, if you could briefly introduce yourself to the audience and tell them what you're currently working on.
1: Sure. So my name is Tobias. I'm one of the three founders of Yamo and we are building the first brand for really fresh, really tasty, organic baby and children food.
0: Awesome. What I would like to do is to start exploring the origin story from YAMO and start right at the beginning. Could you tell me and the audience how you came up with the idea of starting a baby and children food company?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So it's a bit of a of a funny story, I would say, because I don't have kids. Neither do both of my co-founders, they don't have kids. We are now building a baby and kids food brand, but how it is sometimes in life, you just... Stumble into things and uh, they turn out to be fantastic, and uh, here we are. So back then, in uh, I think 2015, there was in, uh, in in fall. I was still working in my own job, uh, old job, and uh, actually with one of my two co-founders now, Luca, who was a coworker of mine back then, and. We always talked a lot about food because we both are really into food. We both like to cook and uh, Luca is half Greek. So he also has a very cool Mediterranean um, cooking side to him. So he was always telling me about cool Greek uh, cuisine and and dishes. And and, um, we were always talking a lot about food. And then this one day we both... uh, I Saw a documentary about veganism and we then discussed the documentary and we're like, okay This is very interesting and it seems like veganism is maybe here to stay and then we we decided to Eat vegan for a month as some sort of a food challenge Uh, We we did that which was actually quite good. I mean no problem whatsoever apart from this one thing and that was uh, lunch because where we had our old office, there was just a gas station and the and McDonald's where we could get lunch. So we were in the gas station almost every lunch. And the, the choice was either spaghetti carbonara for the microwave or spaghetti bolognese for the microwave or, uh, or one of those triangular sandwiches. And I had to read all those ingredient lists to check if it's vegan or not. And yeah, you can imagine none of it was. And then I had a bit of a hard time. And actually, what was the most interesting part of, of all of this was that I read all those ingredient lists and I saw that most of the things that I daily consumed were not really healthy. So they contained too much salt or sugar or fat or, or, or additives that I've never heard of in my life. And then um, Luca and me were like, okay, what could we actually eat that is very healthy but also very convenient? And then we thought, yeah, maybe let's let's go for baby food because you know it's something that is certainly very healthy and, and very convenient so we went to the baby food aisle it was the first time in my life that I actually had a look at those products and uh, the first thing that I was really astonished of was that how long those products were shelf stable they were shelf stable for three years five years and they all looked very much the same and, and I was like wow, wow how is this possible and then I said look well I have a friend of mine, Jose, he's called. uh, He's a food scientist, so he actually knows something about food. I will call him. So I called Jose and was like, hey, Jose, um, you're going to help me here. Um, I I do this vegan month, and I want to eat baby food. And why are those products shelf-saving for so long? And he said, yeah, you know, this industry has not changed for 50, 60 years. They would never change, and that's how it is. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I don't know. This cannot be. And every time somebody tells me, this is how it is, and you cannot change it. I have this feeling, this urge of I need to find a way, and there has to be something better. And then I went back to the office with Luca. And we brainstormed the idea, and we're like, oh, "How would it be to to build a different brand? It would be so cool!" And how can it be that nowadays still uh, products are just shelf stable for so long, and, and and adults would would never eat this? And this is, it was such an interesting phase where we just were having those ideas, and after telling, I would say, all of my friends and family and and girlfriend, now wife, uh, how kind of how we have this idea of of revolutionizing baby food and everyone telling me like, wow, this is a dumb idea. (laughs) I kind of thought like, okay, this is it. I'm not even 30 years old now. I will quit my job and I will start working on that because I have to do this now if I don't do it now, I will never do it. And yeah, then one lets to the other, so to speak. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. That's, that's really cool. So actually, uh, I've never tried baby food myself, <laughs> at least not in the last <laughs> 25 <laughs> or 30 years or so. But yeah, that's very cool. And do you remember what documentary you watched at the time that made you turn vegan.
1: I I can't recall how it was called. I I know that it was on the Swiss television um, and it must have been somewhere in 2015 it's actually a good good thing. I have to look it up because I I want to see it again. I think (laughs) it it would be cool. Yeah, it's
0: it's quite interesting how these things led to one thing and then the other and the next thing you start a baby food company. (laughs) (laughs) So now you said you decided to quit your job and were you already like um, trying that out? on the side first or was it like yes i'm going to quit and then i'm going all in and you did not have anything really built before you quit or how was the situation yeah, yeah. at the time
1: i mean in the beginning of course i thought very hard and long exactly about this i was like okay i have a cool job um, i have a good salary should i just do this kind of on the side start working a bit on it and very Quickly, I realized this is not going to work because I really like my old job, and i I also put a lot of heart in it and 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 I cannot do two things with all of my heart and brains, so I decided to do just one thing and uh, this one hundred percent so mm-hmm. I opted to go that route, and I knew of course i mean it 's going to be tough because i then I, I knew I will not have any salary, I have to live off my savings and uh, It's all uncertain, but I I was always a bit, let's say, maybe naively confident that it has to be possible to do something like this, especially in Switzerland, because our social net is so strong. So I will not land on the street, basically, Uh, or at least that's what I was telling myself. So I thought, yeah, well, if if it's not going to work, then uh, I'll I'll find another job. And then in the beginning, we did a very clear plan. I, I, I really recall... It was March 2016, I had my last day, I my old job in February and then the next day already I, I was with Jose in front of a big shelf in a in, in, uh, in supermarket, checking out the product category and uh, asking young uh, young moms that were shopping there why they shop, what they do. And, and then we said, okay, if by June we need to know if this is going to work, so we need to do a market analysis, we want to interview a lot of young parents uh, we want to find uh, production, uh, a production facility or partner and uh, raw material suppliers all of those things we knew we want to do that in, within three or four months and if we then say okay this is going to work then we will found a company and um in june we actually we were there and we we interviewed all those parents and it was very clear what the need was of parents because a lot of those uh, interviewed moms they told us look i'm a working mom or a part-time working mom or even the ones that were stay-at-home moms they said look i i, I do baby food myself i, I prepare it myself because i want to assure that it is tasty and i want to assure that that it has a high quality but honestly it's not really i don't like doing it it's not a fantastic thing to do i rather Want to cook something really elaborate and not just a carrot puree. I, I really remember this one interview I had with a mom. She was a teacher and she told me that every Saturday afternoon she prepares baby food for two weeks in advance. It takes her four to five hours. She prepares baby food for those two weeks, she deep freezes the baby food in those ice cube trays. And then whenever the baby is hungry or a bit in advance, she already has to kind of know that the baby will be hungry. So it takes out the ice cube trays and uh, heats them up again. And she said, it's just such a hassle. But honestly, I don't want to buy what is there right now on shelf because I wouldn't eat it myself. And that was the baffling thing for me. How can it be that there is a product category that adults would not eat themselves, but they actually feed it to their children that are just like small humans, right? Tiny, small humans. And, and they're supposed to eat it. And this I, I still this is a paradox for me.
0: I think it really shows how you found definitely the need or a demand for a different type of products than what is out there. And as you mentioned, you didn't have a background in it. You said you did the market research, you interviewed a lot of people, which I think is a great approach to assess the demands. So what was the next step? Did you start manufacturing the product? Or how did you even know where to start? How do you create a baby food product? How did you approach that <laughs> yeah. problem?
1: I mean, in the beginning, I, I remember so well that Jose, he bought a machine on Amazon. It was called Baby Move or something. And it was basically a little blender with also a steamer function. So he was able to steam, puree, uh, and, and, and mix all of the products in one machine. So he did that for two days in a row, the machine broke, and he had all of those baby food purees, prototypes in little glass jars. He took them right off the puree and went to playgrounds and just pitched it to parents who were like, hey, I have this baby food, do you want to try it? And they were like, okay, well, a strange guy coming up to me, (laughs) offering me baby food to try but uh, I think he, he's just so charming that people were actually uh, giving it a try. And the people were like, oh, that, this tastes fresh. This tastes good. And he's like, yeah, you know, I want to build this famous food company. So we did those prototypes and we thought like, okay, we, we got it. We got it nailed down. Those are the, the recipes that we would want to launch. We basically just have to produce them now. So uh, in our naivety, we, we said, okay, we will now rent an industrial kitchen. Get in there, us free, Luca Jose, and me and uh, produce a baby food our own so we did that and it was a disaster after we were in there in that kitchen for i don't know 12 14 hours or something got up at 5 in the morning and uh, worked our ass off the whole day in that kitchen and in the end we had something like 20 kilos of fruit and vegetable puree which was ridiculous the amount and the kitchen was a mess and we were just super exhausted and we were there sitting there and he was like, okay, this is never going to happen. I mean, that's not how we can build a company. We, we seriously had the idea that our first business plan said we will spend three days out of five per week in the kitchen ourselves preparing the bay food. And the other two days, we will do some office stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was so, it was just, yeah, so naive. But, but also I, now thinking about it, it was quite fun. But we then realized very quickly it is not how we will be able to produce a real food product. We need to have super serious quality standards and and everything. So we started looking for production partners because we clearly were not able to just build it from nothing. Uh, with, with our little money that we had. So we were looking for production partners and then this took us quite some time.
0: Before we go to the production partner, were you able to sell <laughs> this 20 kilo of baby food that you produced?
1: Uh, no, or- we actually we had to eat it ourselves uh, because we de- back then we were not able to yet package it. So we just basically had a lot of puree and we packed it in big bags or something like that. And then I, I think we ate it, but we did not even have a packaging sheet because in that kitchen or that industrial thing there where we were, there was no filling packaging machine, just cooking equipment.
0: Okay. And did you already have like some type of online store or any distribution channel at the point or was no, it really just about trying out to make the product?
1: Exactly. It was really about trying it was our really first go at it. yeah we we do this industrial food production now which was yeah we were not even thinking about selling it yet
0: and you mentioned then going for a production partner would you say that's the way to go from the beginning now looking back that you should have started that from the beginning or do you think it was helpful that you tried to do it yourself first maybe as a learning uh, experience
1: yeah it's a good question i think it's certainly a good experience i think it would have been not wise to try this for weeks and weeks we tried it once and we failed and it's something that is also ingrained in our dna now is fail but fail fast so we want to be very fast but we also we we know that to be fast you need to make mistakes learn from them very swiftly and then adapt And that's something that we still do um today and i think that especially in food it is really important to either have a lot of money to build your own production, which is also very cool, but you need a lot of know-how and money. Or you go to very, very good companies that work with you, that understand you, that want to work with you, even though in the beginning you have almost non-existent volumes for them. So that's a big issue because you, you will never be a good business for all of them. So you need to find someone that believes in you, your vision, that you really pull it off.
0: And how did you approach this to find a production partner that really you felt comfortable to work with? I also imagine it's not that easy to find them. It's not that you can just like find someone very easily or just Google like what are the best production partners? Yeah, that's.
1: I was also there. I thought like, if I Google through production partner, I will find easily 10. But all of those companies, they're, they're ghosts. They're, they don't exist on the internet. There are so many, there are so many cool, small, oftentimes family owned companies that produce things that you that you see on shelves of Coop and Migo, but there's no brand on it because it's a private label for Corp or for Migo. You just have to find them and it is really about networking. One person knows another person and we went into the store, we looked at products that were packaged similarly than our products that we were thinking of and then we just called those companies, because sometimes there was kind of produced by or something. It took us weeks and actually months to, to then find a partner. In the end, we were so happy with, with the partner that we found because it was a family owned company The owner and the, the guy who ran the company, he really believed in us and he was like, okay, look, I have a, a lot of people coming in here uh, every week uh, asking me to do this and that, but uh, it seems like you guys are really serious we can try it and in the beginning i think he they he thought like well they will be gone in, in a week or two but <laughs> we kept at it and uh, we 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 kept on coming to him and, and, and wanting to produce more and, and uh, try more stuff and, and do different stuff and i think that was very important also to build the trust him.
0: and i imagine that it's also when you talk to these manufacturers and production partners that they have some minimum um, amounts you need to produce and then you yeah. have to work on prototypes. How did you approach that also? Because I assume you did not have too much capital yet and you could maybe not exactly. afford to build like 100k <laughs> units of, of this at the beginning.
1: So in the beginning, we, what we offered them is that we would kind of help out in production so that they would have to staff less of their people on on our production and it was us mainly Jose I have to say and uh, he did an unbelievable job back then I I mean he was sometimes I don't know three four in the morning because they they produced very early Uh, he was there uh, in the production and, and was running the production basically looking that nothing goes wrong and that was kind of the deal that we had with them which worked out for, for quite some time. But then at some point it was not sustainable anymore. and also didn't make sense because he was in the night producing and on the day he was doing other things. And he was a bit like Batman, you know, it's not <laughs> a, uh, that is not, not really sustainable. But I think that's something that makes probably sense to offer such a deal uh, if, if you can and because he has, of course, a lot of knowledge. So he was also he knew what to do in the production. Mm-hmm. Uh, also learned a lot then, I guess. Um, but that, for us, was helpful. And then the other thing that was really, really helpful is that the, the partner was not really about the money. He he said, look, if I help you now, you guys do well, money will come for me eventually. And I think that's something this, this long-term thinking you can oftentimes only find maybe within family-run companies because they themselves are multi-generational and... Uh, They understand it's not about quarterly earnings reports or things like that. They understand that things take time to take off.
0: Are you still working with the same producer today or did you build up your own manufacturing?
1: No, we actually did not build our own manufacturing. Um, That's something that we still, maybe somewhere in the future, but but not today.
0: That's awesome. I, I like the hustle and like that you were actually really, you know, trying your own food and you were like in the production line. So that's really shows kind of the hustle you have to go through to make these (laughs) things work. So that's very cool. Now I want to go a bit more into like then the selling part as well. We talked a lot about how you came up with the product nowadays with the whole D2C, you see a lot about tools like um, Shopify, Mm etc., as a way of distributing your products. How did you, about launching an online store, or how did you think about distribution at the beginning and how did it develop?
1: Yeah, so we did that in 2017. We did a crowdfunding campaign to pre sell the first products. So we had a funny video and a lot of text and things that we explained and what is exactly better on our product. And then we launched a crowdfunding campaign and it went very well. We uh, actually sold more than we actually wanted to sell so we got more money in that campaign and this allowed us to really produce for the first time big scale
0: what a crowdfunding platform did you use at this time
1: uh, we used we make it um, so because they're the biggest in Switzerland and we knew that it would not make sense to go to a US platform like kickstarter or indiegogo because i mean we couldn't ship there anyway because our product is fresh and we did that and then we we actually produced for the first time shipped out the products just for the crowdfunding campaign and in parallel worked on our first online shop, which was back then built on WooCommerce, kind of a WordPress commerce platform because Shopify back then was not what it is right now. I think nowadays everyone would go to Shopify immediately because it's just so good and all the connections are so, so easy, easy, doable. And and it's just, yeah, it's gigantic. Back then it was not that big yet. We tried that first time and there we really, yeah, we kind of failed with, with the whole online shop a lot because we did not have any knowledge within our founding team on how to build an e-commerce platform. Just none. We, of course, we always exchange with a lot of different people, but it was apparently not enough because otherwise we would have opted to do something differently (laughs) and then. We, we built this thing, and we immediately realized this is not going to work because it had so many flaws, and it was just it was a mess. And um, then we started rebuilding everything from scratch with our own with then developers that we worked with that were in the nearshoring company in, in Belgrade. We still work with them because they are amazing, and they're really not just let's say freelancers. Actually, they're really part of the team. And, uh, and through Yarmou stars and, and, and then everything kind of went, went the right direction because we had it under our control. I, I think if a lot of people ask me, so would you still go that route that you would build everything yourself or would you just take something ready-made, I don't know, Magento or Shopify? And I think it really depends on the stage that you're in plus the, the vision that you have. We have a vision where we want to build a lot of things very into direction of personalization and offer a lot of services through our platform. And therefore, I think for us, it was the right decision. But I think if you want to have just a regular e-commerce where you sell something, then I would nowadays go for, for Shopify, I think, because it's just, it's just so easy.
0: Nowadays, you have all these integrations for and at Shopify and similar platforms. Do you know how the situation is for Switzerland and I think you also ship to Germany and Austria, do you think nowadays it's easier to find partners that help you with shipping and that this is all integrated into your systems or how do you see that nowadays um, or when you started, how was it to really work together with other partners like distribution partners that actually ship your product or warehouse it, etc.
1: So that is I think still The gap between the the platform the software basically and then the actual warehouse partner or the fulfillment partner or the shipping partner is still there i think a lot of warehouses they're not on a level where they could just plug you in basically so it's always work if you want to have a real integration where afterwards if an order comes in you don't have to manually processes anymore i mean we for in the beginning for months we did that we manually processed every all the orders in excel sheets and and everything and we manually sent out invoices and everything manual and this is something that i don't know if it's different in other countries but especially here in switzerland we could not go to just a warehouse and they would have everything ready made and it's just a push of a button and there we go
0: so there's still some room for improvement there, I guess, in, in the industry.
1: Yeah, <laughs> indeed. But I think it, it, the, the more e-commerce grows, the more this will be just standard.
0: Yep. Let's hope so. Let's jump a bit forward then to more recent news. I saw on your website you have now like already a whole bunch of products that you offer that have really cool names, by the way. And <laughs> How did you, you know, grow there or where are you right now? Maybe you can briefly describe to the audience what type of products specifically you offer and where you're at with the company nowadays.
1: Sure. So we currently, where we started was with baby food. Baby food for children as of four months, four, or five months. And then we started, I think, with five or seven products. We then extended product range to 11 different flavors also added more exotic combinations for example lentils red beet and pear i think some things that you wouldn't do really yourself at home but still things that taste very well and are nutritionally very valuable we always work of course with with nutritionists and and pediatricians when we develop our recipes, so that's very important and then uh, after that we expanded into another product category that is for babies as of 6, 10 months. So a little bit older. Also for that can already hold the product themselves and are not spoon fed anymore. Also adding cow milk sometimes within two products. And then what we did next is that we said, okay, well, we now have a very nice lineup of by now 20 something-ish products or SKUs in this baby sector. We have things with vegetables, uh, products with fruit, always also adding the needed content of iron with, with, for example, spinach or proteins with chickpeas. And then we said, yeah, we, we want to do something now for kids because we saw all of those, those children products, especially in when you go to, to the dairy segment, where you see some of the children products that just have a lot of sugar. So I think one of the best-selling children yogurts It has something like 14 grams of sugar on 100 grams, which is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And a fruit content of a couple, two, three, four percent. And if you look at the ingredient list, you basically need a PhD in chemistry to understand what's in there. And that's something that we thought, well, it's, it's not really how we would want to eat ourselves. And when we talk to parents, they tell us, look, it's not really what I want for my kids but they just like it and it's the only thing I can get. So yeah, I buy it. And then we figured we want to do something now for kids that is very tasty, but also very healthy. And then it was um, through a couple of iterations. We stumbled upon the raw material, the oats or oat milk actually then. And it has very, very good taste and uh, nutritional values. And then we thought, why not doing uh, children yogurt alternative made from oat milk and then prototyped that and it tasted very delicious. We added a couple of fruits to it and and, then it was just really good. It took us I think a year or something to to develop the product and then we launched it now. Summer this year was Europe's first oat milk based yogurt alternative for children. Sugar content of only 5 to six grams per 100, so almost a third of what your regular children yogurts have. Very high in actual fruit, no added sugar, still organic and uh, lactose free, so it also is good for, for children that have some allergies. And it's a real hit, their product actually. It's liked a lot by parents and their kids. And that's where we are now. So our vision of Yamo is growing together, and we, we want to grow together with our customers and our consumers, but also internally, us as as we as YAMO stars, we want to grow together. And um, for that, we need to develop new exciting products for children up to 12 years of age.
0: The yogurts sound definitely delicious. I <laughs> would like to try one even though I'm not a kid anymore. That's very really cool. What about some learnings that you had in the last years since you started YAMO? What were your key takeaways if you had to do it all over again, what would you say were your key takeaways, and what would you do differently?
1: Yeah, so I think one key takeaway definitely is fail, but fail fast. Um, it's super important to to test things and to also be honest to yourself: is this going to work or not? And if you, you try it your best and it does not work, you better switch to something different. And uh, that's still very much what we do daily with every. I'd say with, with things we do in marketing or product development, it's just, it's just very important. I think the second thing that is also very important is something that I was told very early on when we started from other founders I know. It's, it's, it sounds super trivial and stupid, but it's so true. Everything takes twice as long and everything is twice as expensive as you think, <laughs> and it always turned out to be really true still today we are still very ambitious and we want to grow fast as we do and but still you your plans are always a little bit higher than what you in the end what you can do otherwise i think if you don't aim high you cannot jump high
0: yeah makes sense
1: i think the absolute the, the most important last learning that i had was that is it's all about the team so in the beginning you are founders I don't know, two, three people that just hustle day and night for, for your for your dream, for your vision, and you have oftentimes I think not that much prior knowledge of how to build a company. And then you have the first people that are are thrilled about the, the idea and that want want to join you and you really you're forming a real company and there it is just so absolutely important to have exact people that want to go with you all the way. And that's something that I'm so happy about and, and proud that we, we, we are this team now of, of people that want to go that way, that want to build a real cool company in this area that are not here just because, yeah, yeah I, I need to have a job or something, but it's, they actually are on this mission. We all are. And this is, it's just absolutely awesome.
0: Very cool. I'm also wondering are there any tools that you would recommend people that would like to start a DTC company nowadays I know you mentioned you built your own website but maybe yeah. there are some plugins or other tools you use to test your idea anything that comes to mind
1: I think what you can see nowadays often is that people um, kind of create those testing um, companies or brands and, and launch them on Instagram so they just have they call it I don't know what uh, a random name they do some some pictures and do and run some Instagram ads. And then they maybe have a, even a landing page or maybe they they don't. Maybe they say like, uh, you can order through direct message or things like that. Or they have a landing page where you could just leave your email address or uh, or, or even purchase something, but then you would either be able to purchase it or, or you would just they would just tell you, sorry, it's not available right now, but here you can get in the waiting list. Uh, this is something uh, that I see often now and I think it's a very, very good idea before actually going all in and uh, building all of yourself. And you can really test some market like this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, sounds like a sensible approach before spending all their money and <laughs> producing hundreds and thousands of products.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I still am sometimes amazed by how, uh, how really brave people are when they, for example, order, I don't know, a ship Uh, a ship full of t-shirts or uh, computers or something and then uh, like okay i have now this container full of x i'm gonna sell it now i'm gonna say wow you're really brave (laughs) (laughs) yeah well
0: there's two approaches and both can be successful (laughs) i guess (laughs) cool so before we wrap up i want to jump quickly into the rapid fire questions so if you could just give me your immediate thoughts to the questions and let me know what you think So the first one, what is your favorite book that you read that had a big personal impact on your life? Uh, It can also be a movie or a documentary or something. I
1: think it would be Shoe Dog, the biography of Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. I think I never read a book that fast in my life. I I think I read it in a day or two or something. And it was just an amazing, inspirational, entrepreneurial story. I, I loved it.
0: Yeah, I didn't read it yet, but I heard a lot of good things about it. So it sounds like a very inspiring story for sure. Is there any other product apart from Yamo that you use often that is maybe in the D2C space or that you just a product that you like?
1: Yeah, D2C, I, I order sometimes my muesli. I like the, the concept of it. I like all of their communication. I like how uh, taste of their muesli, of course. And uh, yeah, that's, that's something that I frequently older.
0: If you think about it, if you could give advice to your younger self at the beginning of your career, or even before you started YAMO, what would you tell yourself like 10 years ago?
1: Oh, wow. I, I, I really don't know if I would tell myself, go work in a startup as your job, my first job. Maybe I would, because I think just the, the, the dynamics of things and what you can learn is really crazy. I mean, the, the learning curve within a startup is just super steep. And I think that's really the most important thing for when you when you graduate. It's just learning, learning, learning. That's the most important thing. Then again, I think when you go to um, to an already established company, you sometimes learn just things by the book. And, and that's also very helpful for afterwards for your startup. So difficult question. Maybe I would say go work in a really cool, fast-growing startup, you will learn a lot. I think that's what I would tell myself. Cool.
0: And last question relates to the name of the podcast. So what would you say does courage mean to you personally?
1: I think courage is really when you do something that other people would shy away from. And this can be various things. I don't know, for example, a being going to a uh, developing Country and, and 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 helping people build something there or even here. I mean, doing something that just other people wouldn't wouldn't dare doing because they would rather want to have a normal, regular life. And I think <laughs> building a company and uh, being an entrepreneur is is also something a lot of people shy away from because it's just a lot of work and tears and <laughs> and. Uh, and also, joy, but also a lot of work and um, some more work. And that's just something that uh, I think a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't want to do.
0: Well, I think that was great advice and very interesting to hear the background story and the origin story of Yamo. So, thank you very much, Tobias. Before we close, where can people find more about yourself and Yamo online? Yeah, what are your handles or where can people find more about you?
1: So, our website is uh, yamo.bio bio like the organic food b-i-o then usually we are of course on on instagram linkedin pinterest facebook everywhere where our handle is uh, yamo baby and there you can find a lot of nice pictures cool stories and uh, and videos
0: awesome so i will make sure to link that as well in the show notes so people can check it out there if they want to have a look and yeah thank you so much that was really fun and i learned a lot tobias thank you so much
1: Thank you
0: so much, Raymond. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You could do me a really big favor if you would just tell one of your friends about the Leap Takers podcast and recommend it. Or if you want to do even more, quickly head over to the iTunes or Apple podcast store and give the Leap Takers podcast a five-star rating. This would really help me to get more visible and that I'll be able to continuously bring on great guests to this show. Thank you so much. Also, if you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests just shoot me a message you can find all my contact info on leaptakers.com or you can also follow me on twitter or instagram where you can find me under Remo keyboards or just follow the leaptakers podcast directly on instagram as well so having said that thanks again for listening and have a great week Bye bye